Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Engagement Express. Welcome to all you HR, internal communications and engagement professionals or anyone who's just interested in how to increase engagement in their organization. Well, today we're in for a real treat. I'm joined by Jihan Hyde. Jihan is an award-winning internal communications professional who describes herself as an enabler, an includer, a mentor, and an activator. Through her strategies, business acumen, creativity, and curiosity, she can bring organizations' purpose and ambition to life and energize employees by transforming them into storytellers who tell vivid and inspiring stories leading to business and reputational growth. So I'm absolutely delighted today to have Jihan Hyde as my guest. Jihan is an internal communication specialist and she is very, very welcome as she has many years experience of working in internal communication. So welcome to the podcast, Jihan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kate. And thank you for asking me to be part of your great, amazing podcast. (laughs) You're very welcome. Now, I'm super excited because you're going to talk about a subject that we've not broached yet on this podcast, and it's emotional intelligence and how this relates to leadership and therefore how this relates to engagement. So, When we say emotional intelligence, there's been a lot of discussion about this subject over the years, but sometimes you get the feeling that people don't really understand what it means. So perhaps that's a good place to start. What do we mean when we say emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence, it trickles to everything we do. It trickles into how we manage stress, how we get to present ourselves, how we work in a team, and how we make effective decisions. The actual concept was founded and made very popular by Dr. Daniel Coleman. And the way he introduced it or defined it, he divided it into four different aspects or disciplines. The first one is self-awareness, which means being aware of our emotions, knowing what we're feeling, why we're feeling it. And that actually is the basis of us making good intuition and good decision-making. Second discipline, or domain as he called it, is self-management, which means handling our distressing emotions in an effective way so that we don't get crippled by it and our emotions don't get in the way of what we are doing. In other words, basically showing that we have and we express how we have and how we feel. The third domain is empathy. Empathy is all about connecting ourselves into other people's experiences. Yeah. And feeling what other people are feeling. And this is very important because we normally say with empathy that, oh yeah, we feel how you feel or we understand how you feel. But in reality, we don't because we're not required to feel how they feel at that certain time. But what we are required is to try and relate to how they feel. And the fourth domain is social skills. And basically that means how we interact with others. Yeah, they're really quite comprehensive, those four pillars. And 
one that resonates with me the most is the third one that you outlined, which is empathy. Because for me, I'm quite an empathetic person. I'm a sympathetic person. I'm quite sensitive as well. You know, I describe myself as an empath. So I work very much with that in mind, trying to see things from people's points of views, to understand how they're feeling, put myself in their shoes, etc. So for me, that's the key one when it comes to internal communications, because you can't authentically communicate if you don't understand your audience. Exactly, exactly. And if you notice as well, so the four pillars are, as I said, is self-awareness, self-management, empathy and social skills. And if we focus on the first two, which is the self-awareness and self-management, we notice that they are inward bound. True. So these two pillars are focusing on ourselves. We first yeah. need to understand our emotions and then learn how to manage them. Whereas in your case, because you're empathetic, and if we look at empathy and social skills, these two yeah. pillars are outward facing. And these mm. two pillars are helping us to be aware of our social situation and help us manage and develop the relationships, have, have the ability to be effective leaders and make better decision making. And to me, yeah. absolutely right. These two are very important for us to succeed as internal communicators because we deal with human beings on a daily basis. We need to understand how humans work and how they think. Mm. And if you also notice as well, is that emotions or the feeling, they contain really important data, in my opinion, Kate. Mm, you're right. Because they're tied to our thoughts and the way we think, our attitudes, beliefs, and actions. Mm. And if we are able to read people's emotions, we will be effective leaders and effective internal communication because it will help yeah. us to understand our audience. It will help us to relate to our audience. It will help us to be happy in our own lives as well and be satisfied in our careers. And this is what we're really good at. So we are very good at looking outwards and helping other people tap into their emotions and into their compassionate skills. But we're not really mm. good at looking at ourselves, either yeah. focusing on us to help others, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I think, you know, often I feel that being an empath and being sympathetic naturally as an individual, as a human being, lends itself well to self-awareness. But perhaps I'm wrong. Yes. Emotional intelligence is a muscle, Kate, that could mm. easily be trained. We are not yeah. born emotional intelligence. And people in general, we tend to confuse emotional intelligence with personality. Mm. And that's not true. Because personality, if we define it, it's a stable set of preferences and tendencies through which mm. we approach the world. So it's fixed, just like yeah. our eyes. You. Yeah. So if you are a helpless extrovert like I am, and I've been an extrovert since I was, let's say, 10 years old. Yeah. I will never change becoming an extrovert when I'm 40. Yeah. Same with your IQ. 
and your personality as well, okay, is fixed. It's not mm. changed. However, emotional intelligence sits within an area of the brain. And that area is between your emotional and your rational part of the brain. And it's highly mm. plastic, which means yeah. it's very flexible, very responsive to change. And when you do work on your emotional intelligence, you are increasing the flow between rationality and feelings. Yeah, yeah. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. And it does resonate with me. But I always feel like certain people are drawn to certain roles because they inherently have the skills required to do those roles if that makes sense. So if you're drawn to internal communications, typically, I say typically, not always, but typically you would naturally be, I would have thought, someone who enjoys interacting with a wide range of people, regardless of barriers around culture, language, behavior, business units, function, location, those kinds of things. And that's the joy that I get from my role is the interaction with lots of people from different backgrounds, as I've just outlined. So, you know, if you're already that kind of person, would you not already have that emotional intelligence is, is what I'm trying to understand? No, you won't. No, you won't. So it also depends on your background and your culture that you come from. To give you an yeah. example, I come from an African Arab culture and, and showcasing emotions does not come naturally to us. We yeah. always have to be perceived as strong, as obedient and as satisfied as possible. Mm. And I really struggled with this when I started working in the European world mm. because I needed to really understand how people operate and I couldn't put myself into their shoes so empathy did not come natural to me yeah because I was always taught to just get on with it that's life mm. and this is where I realized I wasn't able to connect easily with people and my audience mm. and when someone actually pointed out to me they were like Jihan you are very very approachable you're very friendly you really do get your energy from people but we mm. feel that you don't really relate to people yeah. as in they come crying to you for example so if a friend comes crying to me rather mm. than trying to calm her down and understand where she's coming from I will just say to her I don't understand why you're crying so that's happened yeah. just get yourself up and move on. Yeah. And that required a lot, a lot of work from my part to really mm. develop that skill. So yes, so people would be drawn to certain roles, but that doesn't mean that because you are outgoing, that you could, because you're sociable, that you are emotionally intelligent. Yeah, they're two totally different things. You know, I just felt as though perhaps if you are already understanding people and willing and receptive to understanding a wide range of people, not just a particular type of person, then you would have that 
a certain level of emotional intelligence because you would not be able to navigate that kind of environment without it. Yes, yes. At least, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. It's really interesting, you know, what you just outlined because as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, well, those are crucial skills to have if you're working in internal communications. And it's very tempting. I used to do the same as you did where you just jump to judgment and that's the opposite of coaching isn't it to, to say well you know just pick yourself up and you know it's fine just get on with it you know that's the opposite of what a good coach should do and it is tricky it's tricky to listen to people you know really listen and really understand and interpret and paraphrase what they've said to you accurately how much would you say listening has plays a role in emotional intelligence Oh, it plays a crucial role. It plays absolutely a crucial role because without listening, you won't be able to really figure out what's really being told between Mm. the lines. So, for example, if you do approach someone and you say to them, how are you feeling? And they were like, yeah, we're great. You know, we're fine. The Mm. way they say it and the way they answer the question, mm. really, if you're not a good listener, you would not be able to pick up the fact that it's a facade. They're really not fine. They're saying something, but they mean something else. So listening is almost as important as empathy in our world as internal communicators. Yeah. If we don't listen, we won't be able to help our audience be heard. And in my mind, Kate, I always believe that as internal communicators, our job is to make people feel heard and valued, whether it's within the organization or whether within the team itself. And if we are not listening to them effectively, we won't be able to achieve that. Yes, it's a good point. And an employee voice is one of the three pillars that Nita Clark and David and McLeod put in their Engage for Success report all those years ago, and it still resonates today. You know, employees must have a voice and that voice must be heard. And it's a constant battle, isn't it, to authentically provide mechanisms for employees to voice their concerns or voice their opinions or even to voice their praise, funnily enough. Yes, but in order for us to be effective listeners... We need to learn and we really need to flex the muscles of our emotional intelligence. And to do that, we need to understand what really emotional intelligence means and how do we flex it and work on it so that we do become not only just effective listeners, but effective leaders and the valued of our organization. And there are so many ways that we could actually flex our internal emotional intelligence. So what I have done is I have taken six different exercises that really helped me to not cement. I haven't yet cemented it, but I'm on my way to really work on my emotional intelligence. And because of that, I was able to successfully deliver large-scale internal communications campaign that made an effect and had an impact on the organizational growth. The first one I worked on was I wanted to understand my values. 
And values, as you know, Kate, are the attitudes and the beliefs and the experiences that govern how we behave as human beings. They do shape every choice that we make, okay? And they're always a function within our life that would shape us and shape our personality and our career in the organization. And the way I defined my values was that I dotted down all of the events and the people who have influenced me. They can be positive influence or a negative influence. And I've also reflected on my childhood, my family, and my education, in addition to writing also down my successes and my failure. And all of this I did through journaling. So it's a very simple exercise. Yeah. Okay. But what really happened is that once I understood what my values were, what's interesting was that I started then looking when I was interacting with people and really focusing on thinking, I wonder what their values are. Hmm. And then I started asking them and saying to them, I'm working on my values and these are my values. What do you think your values are? Hmm. And when I did that, it was very interesting that some of their values were my values. So that was A, it was a conversation starter. Hmm. And B, it was also building relationship within my team members. Yeah. You know, and then once I understood what my values were, I then went into my purpose. So I know now what I believe in and how I behave. So what is my purpose? You know, and I looked into a research by Aaron Hurst and Arthur Woods, and they have said that the purpose It drives the type of work that we want to do and the impact that we want to have on the world. So if you look at my purpose at the moment, it is to make people feel valued and heard. Mm. And one of the ways I was able to achieve that was through a website called imperative.com. And they do have excellent purpose profile assessment. So I recommend them for you to use them to understand what your purpose in life and in your career. Mm -hmm. The fourth exercise that I've done was assess my core skills and my strength. By knowing my strength, I was able to be confident and speak about them when I'm speaking to my leadership team. And I was able to be confident in the way I was communicating because I understood finally what I'm really good at. And the way I understood that was by taking a very good exercise, which is my favorite, and that is the Strength Finder by Gallup. Mm. And by doing so, I finally realized, actually, one of my strengths was curiosity. So I'm going to harness this. I'm actually going to utilize this. And whenever I'm introducing myself to someone, I will say, hi, I'm Jihan. I am naturally curious, so please don't take it personal if I want to know more about you and if I want to ask you so many questions because that is part of my personality. So I use that to my advantage to navigate very complex organizations. And then I looked at my work style. I was like, okay, so now I know my strength. I know why I'm living in this world. How do I want to work? How would I want to explain to my peers and my leadership teams my ways of working so that we can be very clear from the beginning on what triggers me and what doesn't? 
And there's so many, by the way, there's so many assessments that you can take, such as Myers-Briggs. But I was told about one that I'm planning to take in addition to Myers-Briggs. It's called the Five Dynamics Assessment mm-hmm. because it works up on the psychology of your brain. And I really like that. To me, psychology is a fascinating discipline. Mm. And it's one of my interests. So yeah. the Five Dynamics Assessment came highly recommended to me as well. Last, it's interesting not- what you... Sorry, it's a ju- I just wanted to jump in there and interject if I can. Um, just about the curiosity and the psycho- yeah. interest in psychology. Because I've come across so many, so many internal communicators who are naturally curious and have that as part of their values and personality makeup and are also interested in psychology. Indeed, some of them have studied it. University as a precursor to doing internal communications. Yeah. So I don't think it's unusual. No. In our profession, that is. Yes. Yes. And did you find it to be, were you able to apply some of the psychological activities into your ways of work? Did you? Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, what I found is that, you know, the, the techniques to understand psychology, you know, the psychology of human beings can lend themselves yeah. very well to working in internal communications because you can often find people's motivations for behaviours through yes. understanding psychology. So people don't generally behave the way they do for nothing. There's always a reason for it. And if you can understand it, then there's a way to explain it. And if you can explain it, and there's a way to tackle it um, if Absolutely. it needs to be tackled. Yeah, so it's really fascinating subject. It is, it is, yes. And I think that the, the most difficult thing is to understand what really makes difficult people difficult. Yes, that's right. And what makes people tick. Exactly. And because you're absolutely right. The circumstances change people's opinion. And that is very yeah. evident during a time of change. And I think getting it right during the time of change is crucial in understanding why are your blockers really your blockers? What's the Mm. history behind it? And this is where your listening skills comes in. This is where your empathy, so you'll be great when an empathy point of view would come in. But at the same time, if you have that skill of being empathetic or listening, or a good listener, or even knowing what your work style is, you won't be able to achieve that easily. Exactly. Especially if you're just covering yourself as well. That's right. You were just about to outline the final. Oh, yes. (laughs) So, yes, the sixth exercise that I've done was actually knowing my leadership style. So, for me to help my team, I wanted to understand and lead my team effectively I wanted to understand how do I want to be leading a team? What type of how what type of leader do I want to be? Do I want to be a democratic leader? Do I want to be a facilitating leader? What type of leader do I want? Oh, do I want to be a coach? Do I want to be a um, people pleaser? You know. So for me to fully understand that, I took the um, leadership practice inventory, the LPI. And that is part of a book that's called The Leadership Challenge. And what's interesting is that through this assessment, I was able to determine that I'm actually a combination of two. I'm a, I'm going to say dictatorship, but I'm not. (laughs) I'm a democratic leader, so I like to bring my team with me in my thought process. I like to empower my team 
and give them accountabilities and just ask them to run with it. I like to provide a psychological safety net within my team where mistakes are okay. There is no problem with mistakes. And I'm a combination of a coach leader, whereby if I feel that you have a skill, I actually help you nourish the skill and really harness it to your benefit and to your career progression. So it was a really interesting. So these six steps were crucial in making me the person I am right now. And without them, I wouldn't have been able to relate to my leadership teams easily and not only relate to them, but actually guide them to become more empathetic and more compassionate communicators themselves. Because I can always refer back to my own story. I was always able to pinpoint what their triggers are and what their personalities are. Yeah, that's fascinating for me because I have spoken with many leaders and done my best to coach them. But it can be a challenge because you're dealing with quite senior individuals who are perhaps not necessarily used to being told or given counsel and advice and not necessarily receptive to it. So how would you suggest to those listening the best way to talk to or counsel or provide guidance on emotional intelligence if you're dealing with a leader who's not willing to change or willing to hear uh, what they could do differently? Unfortunately, this is a very normal situation that we deal with on a daily-to-day basis. We will encounter leaders who do not want to listen, who do not want to appreciate the importance of communication. And the way I came about it is that I utilize data when I do so. So to give you an example, one of my leadership team members that I was partnering with For me, because of my emotional intelligence skills, I was able very quickly to determine that to win him over is to provide him with data. And I did did that through going out to his team and asking them what do they expect of him from a leader perspective? What would they like to see from him? What type of interaction would they like from him? And based on that, I also went to his peers and ask them very openly, what do they think about him? And it's interesting. People do like to open up when you give them the chance. When you make someone in front of you feel that he's truly heard and appreciated, it really makes a difference, and they do open up very easily. And what I did is I wrote down all of the information that I've gathered, and I presented it to him. And I said, this is what your people want from you. I'm not making this up. So we do need to focus on communication. These are the things, I mean, we could take baby steps because I know you don't want to communicate and it's not something that Mm. comes natural to you. So how about we take baby steps? How about we start with a blog? Then we go into a Yammer post and then we take it gradually. And then I was able to achieve that. And while I'm doing so, while I'm presenting the data and the information, I was asking him, I was like, Please tell me why. What happened that you are not comfortable to communicate? What were the reasons? And this is when I've suggested the baby steps because it was very clear that he it's not that he's against communications. He just doesn't want to be part of it because mm-hmm. he doesn't think that he is charismatic enough to be an effective leader because he, yeah. So one of the ways to achieve listening 
is by giving them accurate data mm. and to really ask the right questions. That yeah, I think asking them. the right questions, yeah, is key. Yeah, exactly. You know, to trigger them to give you the information that you need, you know, to take it forward. And actually, in my first episode of uh, Engagement Express Leadership Visibility, I talk about the clickability of channels to leaders. And I'm, I'm a real fan of segregating channels to match the personality of the leader. Because if someone, as you say, doesn't feel confident or perhaps doesn't perceive themselves as charismatic to carry off a face-to-face town hall, with hundreds or thousands of employees, then perhaps they're better off doing a blog or perhaps they're better off doing an email. So there's always this challenge where you have got someone who's in a very senior leadership position, but they might not be suited to a particular mode of communication. So I like to give people a variety of ways to communicate because sometimes it just doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't. And believe it or not, the higher they become, the less emotional intelligent they become as well yeah, so there was a, funny isn't it yeah there is a research that was published by the harvard business review and it was looking at emotional intelligence scores by job title yeah and then it was really interesting that the managers so the first time managers they were the people with the highest score of emotional intelligence then came the middle managers and they really peaked. So let's say lower managers, middle managers. And then when you came to the CEOs, they had the lowest score in emotional intelligence because they don't need to deal with direct team members who require them to act in a way that their team members require them when they were middle managers, if that makes sense. Right. It does make total sense makes total sense and and often with those very senior leaders what you've got is a team of people working under them who are also equally if not uh, just slightly less than or if not equally senior as they are and therefore just as experienced if not more just as knowledgeable if not more and you know there isn't that coaching required necessarily as you say that was required when they were middle managers or junior managers So you often get very senior working with very senior and it's more of a sparring partnership than a direct reporting line relationship. Yes, absolutely. And the priorities also differ. When you are a middle manager, you are thriving to bring the team with you and to grow the team and your profile of your team. Whereas when you're a senior manager with your leadership teams, your priority is to, is to make money for the company. Exactly. That's it. There is no wishy-washy you no. coaching, like you said. So, yeah. So, this is where we really need to tackle that with our mm. senior leadership. But again, Kate, there is no point of us asking our leadership teams to be more empathetic and more, more compassionate if we ourselves, as internal communicators, don't know what the meaning of this is. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah, and by doing that, and by understanding our leaders, we're actually helping them understand and make the right decisions based on facts and rather than emotions. Yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly. 
And it's such an important area to facilitate engagement, you know, this whole idea of leadership competence when it comes to emotional intelligence, and that ability to be able to know something or at least try to understand where your teams and your audiences, your employees, your workforce, where they're coming from. And finally, I just wanted to get your unique perspective, as you've outlined, on the whole area of engagement and how leadership can move the dial in the right direction, in an upward direction, if they are emotionally intelligent versus if they're not. So if you do achieve in making your leadership team become more emotionally intelligent, yeah. you can actually link it to your corporate value. So if you look at each of the corporate values in each company, there'll be an aspect of emotional intelligence as a value, whether it's putting people at the heart, for example, or putting clients first. So there is always an aspect of human interaction and, and emotional intelligence. If you can do that and link it to the values of the company and make it clear to your leadership team that if they are emotionally intelligent, they're actually living the values, you will achieve all what you need to help them be visible and increase the employee engagement level. Yeah, that's a great answer. And that was my thinking too. You know, it's almost like a golden thread that you can trace through the organization, you know, back from engaged employees or disengaged employees, you know, right through to the top and how much emotional intelligence they display with their leadership teams and down the chain it goes. So that's a fantastic overview, Jihan. And I really appreciate your perspective. It's quite interesting. We haven't really looked at this in the podcast so far. So thank you so much for giving me your knowledge and your intelligence on this matter. I really appreciate it. No, no problem at all. But thank you so much, Kate. Yes, I'm glad that you found my insights useful. Thank you so much, Jihan.